Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, good evening, and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and our tactical analysis show returns. We haven't done one of these for a long, long time. Why? Because we all can see the pattern of play now. We, we've all kind of got used to what Mikel Arteta is doing, I think, at the beginning of his managerial tenure, there was a lot of opportunity to kind of explore new things and some of the new ideas that he'd brought to the table. But I guess what's prompted me to do this show is that I was having a conversation uh, with a couple of friends, a couple of colleagues earlier in the week who said to me, sorry, at the back end of last week, I beg your pardon, who said to me, why is it now that Arsenal are so much more potent? Why is it now that Arsenal are much stronger as an attacking force? than they were in the past. What's changed? Is it the signing of Gabi Jesus? Now, the signing of Gabi Jesus is one part of it. And the signing of Gabi Jesus is a significant part of it. But there are other factors as to why Arsenal have dramatically improved as an attacking force. And that is down to Mikel Arteta, some of the tactical tweaks, the regeneration of the midfield, the remodelling of the midfield. We're going to come on to all of that. We're going to break it down for you right here on the Tactical Analysis Show. If you are listening to us on audio, hope you're well, hope you're good. If you would like and you fancy jumping over to YouTube, there will be visuals to help me explain what I'm going to explain on this edition of the podcast. But don't worry if you can't listen or you don't have the time to watch it and you're on the move or whatever, I will explain it as best as possible. But for those on YouTube, you will have the visuals to go with what I am saying. So you might, just on this occasion, if you want to hop over uh, find that useful. Let's say a few hellos because there's uh, plenty of you with us in the chat. Big hello to Trevor, uh, who says, um, I'm here waiting for Harry to cheer us up. There's lousy weather. It's raining cats and dogs with the wind thrown in. It has been a horrible day today, hasn't it? Horrible. I've sort of been sitting, I was working from home today and I was sort of walk, working from the living room for a lot of the day and I was kind of looking out into the garden and, and the, the weather was miserable, as you say. It chucked it down on numerous occasions. And then it got to the afternoon and it just started to perk up just a tiny bit, just a little bit. I got lulled into this false sense of security and decided, you know what? I need to go to the shop at the end of the road. I'm going to walk. And as soon as I went to leave the house, it started chucking it down. So in the end, I did the lazy thing and took the car <laughs> for what is a 30 second walk. But anyway, it was chucking it down. I think I'm... Um, well within my rights. Uh, big hello uh, to uh, Orange, to Sean Forster, uh, to the Fort Lauderdale Guna Craig, who says, good afternoon, Harry and everyone. I love being a Guna. Don't we all at the moment, mate? Big hello to Junior, uh, to Ben, to Amira, 
to Mafia Boss to Temi. Uh, Jared says, big up, Harry. Is it possible to be a member from the Caribbean? I'm from Trinidad. I don't see why not, mate. Um, I don't see why not. Um, yeah, try it. You can try it on YouTube or you can try it on our new platform, Another Slice. Uh, the link to the website is in the description. You'll get more if you go over there. That's why we're encouraging everybody to pick up their memberships if they can and move them over to Another Slice because you'll get plenty more and there's a bit of members content coming your way on Thursday this week, I think. Uh, big hello to Trev. Uh, hope you're well, my friend. Uh, Henry says, good evening, H. Are you in your seat tomorrow? I'm not. I'm not. I was going to be until today. And I found out I'm covering the game uh, for work on Thursday. So I'm going to be in the press area again. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of looking forward actually to going back to my seat because it's been a few games uh, since I've been there now. But no, I'm not. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, mate. Um, it would have been great to say hello, of course. Uh, Munir joins us from Ethiopia. Nilton is with us uh, from New Jersey. And Dave is in the chat too. Hope you're good. Okay, let's get into this. Let's do it. Let's do our tactical analysis of how Mikel Arteta fixed the Arsenal attack. So the first point is, or I guess the obvious place to look is, is the centre forward position, right? We had a centre forward last season in Alexander Lacazette who managed four Premier League goals, which just isn't good enough. Now, I accept that he wasn't in the starting lineup from the very outset. I accept that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was the main man, was the focal point. But pretty early into the season, uh, it became clear that A, Aubameyang was out of form and B, something bigger had gone down and that his future at the club was in the balance. Um, it all started when he was dropped from the team. Um, we heard of a disciplinary issue and that just seemed to rumble on and on and on. And, you know, in the end, when it got to January... It was decided by Arsenal Football Club, probably by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's camp, although he might not tell you the same story, that he needed to get out of there. Arsenal needed to get him out. And that Mikel Arteta was, was not going to put up with this nonsense anymore. And so the responsibility of leading the Arsenal line, the burden of having to score most of Arsenal's goals, had been inherited by Alexander Lacazette from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, perhaps unexpectedly on his part. And the problem was at the time that we weren't scoring enough goals from other areas of the park. OK, people were very sort of, you know, positive about Saka last season and about Smith Rowe. And, and obviously they contributed and Martinelli a bit as well. But, you know, Odegaard too, I guess you could add into that mix. But at the end of the day, they weren't producing at the level required if you want to be right at the top of the Premier League. And we did that comparison on numerous occasions, didn't we? Uh, last season. How many times did I bring up the Premier League goal scorers chart and say to you guys, look at the wingers like Son, like Jared Bowen, people like that who were producing last season, Rafinha of Leeds. And look at where they're at and look at where our guys are at. Now, of course, they're young. Of course, they're developing. But it just goes to show you that if you don't score enough goals, if not everybody pulls their weight, particularly when you don't have a centre forward producing with any regularity, then you've got a problem. And as good as Lacazette was as a character, as a person, you know, in and around the dressing room, as a model professional, he just wasn't up to the level required. You know, he talked the talk, but could he walk the walk? I, I don't think he could. And I think we saw that over the course of the season. He went on a big goal drought towards the back end of it. And obviously, as I say, he ended up on four Premier League goals, 
which just simply isn't good enough. So the obvious place to start when assessing and breaking down how Mikel Arteta fixed the Arsenal attack is, of course, with the striker. We've gone out, we've bought Gabriel Jesus in, who already 12 games in has beaten Alexander Lacazette's total league goals from last season. Gabriel Jesus, as we record this, is on five and obviously Lacazette ended up on four. But not just that, Gabby Jesus has added six assists as well. He's got six assists to his name so far this season, which suggests that not only is he a scorer, but he's a creator too. And he's somebody that brings so, so much to this team. He brings an aggression. He brings us the ability to press people. He battles in a way that, in fairness to Lacazette, he tried, but he just couldn't do it. He just didn't have the legs. He just didn't have the physicality that, you know, that Jesus does. The way that Jesus leans into forwards, the way that he puts his body about, the way that he goes and fights and challenges for every single ball and does that as the first point of our press. Lacazette used to drop off quite a bit and I get what the reasoning behind that was, right? He never felt that he had the pace to harm people in behind. Probably Arsenal and Mikel Arteta never felt that he had the pace to hurt people in and behind. But when he did drop deep, he never had the ability to then, having laid the ball off or whatever it was that he did, get himself into the penalty area quick enough to then be a threat inside the 18-yard box. And that was a big issue for Arsenal because a lot of the time we weren't occupying centre-halves. We weren't, um, you know, we weren't occupying the right spaces. We weren't working the ball into the right areas. And when we did, we didn't have the personnel in the right positions to take advantage of those overloads and of those moments. Guna B in the chat says... Um, the goal output from Saka and Martinelli has improved tenfold and that's down to Jesus. Yeah, that's another great point. Of course, you know, their tallies have improved as well. If you look at where they are at this point of the season in comparison to where they were last season, there's no question about it. Those two have stepped up. Martin Odegaard stepped up. Granit Xhaka has stepped up. Thomas Partey has contributed a couple in the league as well. And what you're then seeing, you know, William Saliba's got a few. What you're seeing is the goals being spread around the team. And we're going to come on to talk about that particular point in a little bit more detail in just a few moments time. But as I say, the, the obvious place to start was the upgrade on the centre forward and what a world of difference that has made. It's undeniable, undeniable. But for me, the biggest difference and the most significant difference is not to do with who's playing at the spearhead of our attack. It's about the restructure and rebalancing of the midfield. This for me is the key. Now, I'll come on to show you some diagrams and I'm going to show you the tactics board and I'm going to break this down for you. But just kind of in a nutshell to kind of give you an idea of where I'm coming from. It's, it's about building a structure that allows you to push more bodies forward, to flood important areas of the pitch, to flood the final third of the pitch, to give your opponents Way too many red and white shirts to deal with, to contend with. But how do you do that whilst maintaining a balance? Throughout the early period of Mikel Arteta's Arsenal tenure, I felt that he managed to tighten us up a little bit defensively. I felt that he managed to make us better on the transition from a defensive standpoint, i.e. we weren't getting caught out on the break as often. But where we struggled was to then find that balance, was to maintain that level of stability but then not mean that that takes away all the spark and all the creativity and the ability to get numbers forward. And what's changed is that the personnel has changed over time. You've now got two centre-halves 
in Gabriel and Saliba who can squeeze right up to the halfway line and are confident that if you drop a ball over the top of them, A, they've got the aerial ability to challenge with pretty much anyone in the division and B, they've got the pace and the mobility to get across the ground and deal with those situations when they need to. So that's that's number one. The introduction of inverted fullbacks has added greater stability to the midfield and to that central core area of the pitch where you want to defend first and foremost. And then, of course, the ability to progress the ball, which is something that we can now do because not only do we have a Rolls-Royce of a midfielder in Thomas Partey sitting in there, but we've also got centre-halves and inverted fullbacks who can do the same. So let me bring up the tactics board and let me share with you guys exactly what I mean. And, and actually, before I do that, let's put this into context, OK? So when I'm saying that Arsenal have or, or that Mikel Arteta has fixed the attack, Arsenal have 30 goals in the Premier League in their first 12 games this season. That is 17 more than the 13 we scored at this point last season. So 17 more goals. Gabriel Jesus has accounted for five of those in terms of what he's actually put in the back of the net. So that's not the only explanation. I know he's got some assists as well, but Lacazette got some assists to be fair to him. So the point I'm trying to make here is that the reason this isn't just all on Jesus, although he's a huge part of it and a significant part of it, is because the jump up has been so significant that there has to be something else. There has to be something more to this. And I've done a little bit of an investigation, looking at some statistics, looking at, you know, footage. Um, I went back through a few games um, to kind of bring out some of the screenshots that I'm going to share with you guys a little bit later on. But I felt the Nottingham Forest game was the best example of this, where you could really pick out what I'm saying in terms of the positions that people uh, uptook. But look, so I talked about the centre-halves, right? I talked about Gabriel and Saliba um, obviously being able to squeeze up the pitch and get close to Thomas Partey. I talk about White on the right-hand side, tucking in when he wants to, when he needs to. He's also got the ability to go on the outside, which is fantastic, but he does tuck in almost alongside Thomas Partey. And we've seen, especially with Tommy Asu playing recently at left-back, I'll just change that from Tierney to Tommy Asu because that seems to be the in thing. That he will also do the same thing. He'll get into that midfield alongside Thomas Partey and give us that additional stability in that area of the park. So then what does that mean? And what does that allow Granit Xhaka and Martin Odegaard to do? Well, it allows Granit Xhaka to squeeze right up into the half space. It allows Martin Odegaard to do the same on the right-hand side. Jesus is obviously in between them as the central forward in terms of his starting position. But then it also affords Bukayo Saka and Gabby Martinelli the license to pull really wide onto the touchline. Both of them are playing on their wrong sides in terms of their stronger foot. So both of them are happy to pull out to that flank, receive the ball right on the touchline and then drive infield into the space um, inside of them because they're going onto their stronger foot and it just makes sense and it's more comfortable for them. But once you've got that ability in the likes of Thomas Partey, you know, who is so good on the ball and, and teams want to get out against us, right? When they want to get out, they squeeze their midfields up as close to the halfway line as possible. But with Partey, he knows he's got that stability around him. He knows that if he loses the ball in this area of the park, Arsenal are well equipped, given that Tomiyasu, White, Saliba um, and Gabriel are all there. Oh, I can't do this. Hold on. I'm really terrible with these graphics. I beg your pardon. 
Can I redo that one? Do I have to delete it? What do I have to do? Oh, here we go. There we go. He knows Thomas Partey. Oh, God, made a right mess of that. Can I undo that? No, no. Okay, let me draw another square. <laughs> Technical uh, genius I am. There we go. So he knows, okay, that if he loses the ball there in an attempt to play a progressive line-breaking pass, Arsenal are equipped to deal with it because they've made sure that they've secured that central part of the pitch and they're going to force you wide. And they hope and they un understand that in the time that they force you wide, the likes of Martinelli, Xhaka, Odegaard, Saka, Jesus, who all have incredible work rates, are going to get back behind the ball and support and Arsenal can reset and start again. But in the event that Thomas Partey is able to play that pass. And it doesn't have to just be Thomas Partey, right? We know that Ben White can play a pass. We know that Saliba can play a pass. We've even seen Gabriel do it at times this season as well. We know that Ramsdale can easily break the lines if he needs to. But once that ball breaks the lines and gets into the Jackers and the Odegaards, for example, or sometimes you see Partey go that little bit more direct out to Saka on the right wing, out to Martinelli on the left, whatever the decision might be on that any given day and in, in that any given moment, it means that Arsenal have then broken through your midfield. It means that Arsenal are through onto your back line. And it doesn't matter if you've got three at the back, if you've got five at the back. No defender wants to be put in a one-on-one -on -one situation, let alone be outnumbered. So in the worst case for us, if there is five at the back, well, as long as you win your individual duels and your individual battles, and if you combine well enough, you're in. You're in the danger zone. And teams panic and teams struggle to deal with that because we suffocate them in their defensive third. Now, you can't do that. You can't take the risks that Thomas Partey takes in terms of his passing. You can't take the risks that Aaron Ramsdale takes. You can't take the risks that Ben White takes in terms of always looking for that line-breaking pass at the earliest possible moment. If you don't have the structure behind you to support it. And now we do. And we never did in the past. Look at the role that Granit Xhaka is playing today. Look at the position in which Granit Xhaka finds himself more often than not. This is a guy who has tripled his goal tally from last season in the Premier League already in 12 games. Thomas Partey is getting in on the act, scoring goals. Martin Odegaard has already got more than half of the total goals he managed last season in the Premier League at this stage. Martinelli is contributing. Saka is contributing. Saliba's been contributing. Arsenal are getting goals from all over the pitch, partly because of the system, but partly because we've got better individual footballers than we've had in recent years. And what that means is that there is no longer an over-reliance on one man in the way there was on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to get you your goals. And therefore, the likelihood of them drying up is less. Now, obviously, we went through a period where we were scoring less. There's no question about that. Um, you know, there's no question about that. It's, um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a blip. We went through a blip, but we bounced back against Nottingham Forest and everything that I'm talking about was put into play and put into practice perfectly. And I'm going to share some screenshots with you, uh, to just highlight exactly what I mean. Now, as I say, there are multiple examples over the course of the season, but, I'd watched, I was watching the Nottingham Forest game back when I was putting this show together. So I decided to take the examples from this game because when I had briefly looked at some of the previous ones, 
these felt like the clearest examples of what I'm talking about, right? So let me bring up this example first and foremost, right? This is a moment in the first half where Arsenal are on the attack. Now, this is not uh, one of the goals, but this was a build-up to a move. I think in the end, the ball broke to Saka and I think he volleyed it over the top of the crossbar, if my memory serves me correctly. But look, Thomas Partey has stepped into that midfield, okay? And he's got the ball and he's got plenty of space. And you know why he's got the space? He's got the space because those midfielders that should be confronting him, those midfielders in Nottingham Forest colours that should be up in Thomas Partey's face, preventing him from having that space, preventing him from bringing the ball under control, preventing him from being able to pick out a teammate, are shit scared of that line of Tommy Asu, Martine, uh, Tommy Asu, Xhaka, Martinelli, um, Jesus, Odegaard, and Saka is on this near side as well, out of the picture, out of the shot. You can't see him. So when you flood the final third like that, what are they supposed to do? They can't leave people unmarked. They can't leave people open. And if they go and confront you, given the numerical advantage that you have, they know that you're going to be able to pick them off and find someone in space and find someone in a good area. So this is what I'm talking about. If you're bold enough and you are brave enough to commit the bodies forward, you can create space for the likes of Thomas Partey, like we've done in this instance, because nobody wants to go and confront him from fear of leaving their man. If I take this on a little bit more, this is how the situation ends up. The ball gets chipped in behind for Xhaka. Xhaka cuts this back to Martinelli. I think there's a bit of a mess. I think the shot's blocked or whatever, and Saka comes in from the right and volleys over the top of the crossbar. Or was it Martinelli that put it over? I can't remember. But that's neither here nor there. The point I'm trying to make is, look at this. One, two, three, four, five Arsenal players in the penalty area. How many times did you see that last season? Not very often. Why? Because we're bolder, we're braver in our approach. Let me take this on to the second goal, which is an even better example. And that is the goal that was scored by Reese Nelson, right? The one where he had the shot saved by the goalkeeper. It came back out to him and he put it in the top of the net. Arsenal pick up the ball. Thomas Partey in that midfield position, in the centre circle, is on the ball. This time, the Nottingham Forest midfield are a lot closer to him. This time, there's a clear gap between Thomas Partey and the, the front five of Arsenal, as I'm going to be calling them going forward. And they come out to confront. Sort of half-assed, but they do do it. And if I take this on a little bit further to the next clip, you'll see that when the ball ends up with Reese Nelson, Arsenal again have four players inside the penalty area. Now, what happened in between those two screenshots is that Thomas Partey, going back to this one, threaded a ball in between the number 22 and the uh, other midfielder, I think was Freuler there, and found Granit Xhaka as part of the front five in a wide position. He cut it back across the penalty area. Jesus then helped it onto Nelson. And here you go. Nottingham Forest have got a swarm of Arsenal players in their penalty area to deal with. You know, yes, they have the numerical advantage by one, but that's not how you defend. That's not what you want as a defender. Let's take it on to Reese Nelson's second goal, because again, the ball works its way out to Odegaard after a pass from Jesus. He then plays it back to Jesus, whose low ball across the six-yard box is eventually turned in by Reese Nelson. But again, Arsenal have one, two, three, four, five players in the penalty box, and Takahiro Tomiyasu standing on the edge of it. So six players in the vicinity. Forest have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine men back. 
because they're shit scared of it by that point. But you've got six people in and around the penalty area. You fancy yourselves. And this is the difference. This is the tweak. This is what that stability that I've talked about defensively has given us the ability to do. Take it forward again onto Thomas Partey's goal. Why does Thomas Partey have so much space arriving on the edge of the penalty area? Why does Thomas Partey have nobody getting in his face? Why does Thomas Partey have the freedom of the midfield to jog into that area and receive a cutback? Why? Because again, Arsenal have one, two, three, four, five. Martinelli, Xhaka, Jesus, Nelson. And who's that on the far side? I don't know. Anyway, Odegaard. One, two, three, four, five Arsenal players inside the penalty area. They suck the defenders in. That creates the gaping hole in front of the Forest midfield. And on the day, Thomas Partey was good enough to stick that into the top bins. And if I take it on to the fifth and final goal to demonstrate my point once again, once again, you can see that midfield line with Cedric Suarez this time up uh, alongside Thomas Partey playing the inverted fullback role. But in the box again, we have Nelson, Odegaard, Jesus, Enketia and Tierney standing right on the edge of it. So again, Arsenal creating spaces and on the outside of the penalty area from which we then have time to take shots or pick out passes. But at the same time, we've got a flood of players in the penalty area there and on hand if we can work the ball to any of them to put the ball in the back of the net. So that's my kind of explanation about what's changed, what's different with this Arsenal side, how Mikel Arteta has fixed the attack. To summarise, it's not just about Gabriel Jesus, although I acknowledge he's been a huge part and a massive upgrade on Alex Lacazette and on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But it's about the rebalancing of the midfield. It's about the structure that we've set up to defend the centre of the pitch in the event that we lose possession and the freedom that that then gives us, knowing that we trust in that group of players to do that job, to then push more bodies into the final third, create overloads, flooding the final third, as I say, and causing teams problems. Let me know if you enjoyed that. Let me know if you want to see more of this type of content. Let me know what you thought. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Always interested to know uh, what you guys think. Let's uh, take this super chat from uh, Let's Have a Discussion. Uh, he says, love from India, Harry. Question for you. Who is your player of the season and player of the month for October? By the way, Jesus Brace is coming against Chelsea. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, my player of the season so far is is probably Jesus overall in terms of what he's brought to the table. Saliba's up there as well. I'd put Xhaka in the conversation. There's a few. So it's really tough. Player of the month for October, I'm going to go with Xhaka. He's contributed goals. He's done it all in this month. You have to say that. Um, uh, Munir says, how many goals do we have to score this season? Well, if you think about what Mikel Arteta said back in March, right, there was a an interview where we were talking about our goals drying up. And Mikel Arteta said, to compete right at the top of this league, you need to score somewhere between 90 and 100 goals in a season. That's what he said. And we're averaging 2.5 goals per game right now. That's our average. So if Arsenal continue to average two and a half goals a game, and I know it's a tall order, we would be on course to achieve 95 goals this season. So we'd be right in that sweet spot between the 90 and the 100 that Mikel Arteta set his sights on. So... Whether we go on to achieve that or not is 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 one thing. I know it's it's not going to be easy to maintain this level throughout the duration of the season. But the fact that we're on track to deliver that after 12 games 
it tells you, doesn't it, that there's been an improvement. It tells you, doesn't it, that we are moving in the right direction. And it tells you that Mikel Arteta identified a problem, identified an objective, recognised and understood what it is that we need to achieve in terms of the number of goals that we're going to be scoring, has set his stall out to do that, has found a way of getting us closer to that, and has found a way of maintaining a consistent threat and danger to our opponents, which we just didn't have last season. Amira says we finally have a defence we can trust. That's massive as well. That's that's key as well. I talk about rebalancing the midfield. I talk about restructuring, repurposing the midfield. If you think back to sort of seasons prior and the end of last season when we were without Thomas Partey, Mikel Arteta would like to play with two deep-lying midfielders, didn't he? We always knew that in the long run, maybe he wanted to go to a 4-3-3 or something more like that. But we always saw that he'd go for that insurance of having two deep-lying midfield players. There were signs just before Partey picked up that injury at the end of last season that we were going to stay with Xhaka playing in that more advanced role. But when Partey became injured and, and therefore was absent, Mikel Arteta, in my opinion, didn't feel that he could trust any of the alternatives and didn't feel that he could afford them anywhere near as much responsibility as he gives to the Ghanaian from fear of them not being able to cope and from fear of that leaving us exposed. And then in sort of panic mode, maybe as a bit of an experience as well, we reverted back to the two deep line midfield players. Xhaka was playing a lot deeper sometimes alongside Elneny, sometimes alongside Lekonga. And what we saw was that takeaway from our potency up front. And we struggled for goals towards the back end of the season. Uh, Ed M says, uh, as a non-Arsenal fan, let me tell you going forward, you guys are frightening. Last year, we knew you were toothless in some aspects, but now you have danger in each position. Even Xhaka and Partey are a threat. So true. Um, Afsar says, moon the likes. Yeah, please do. You know what? Let's check in. Where, where are we at on likes? 50. Come on, let's get it up to 100. Let's get up to 100. Let's try and uh, round up the subscribers to the next 100 as well. I think we we're only a few away when I started the stream. It would be nice to get uh, to 24.4, would it be? Yep, as we continue our march towards 25,000. Uh, Lucy says, uh, hi, Harry. If you were to sign one striker out of Mitrovic and Tony in January, who would you prefer to buy? I think I'd go for Tony because I think he'd do the pressing job a little bit better and he's younger. Um, is he younger? Is he younger? I don't even, I need to check that because I'm always under the illusion, right? That Alexander Mitrovic is much older than he actually is. So Tony is 26. Mitrovic is, hold on a second, 28. So yeah, I was right. Tony's a bit younger. Yeah, I think I'd probably go for Tony out of the two because I think he's a bit more mobile and can do a bit more of what Mikel Arteta demands. Mitrovic is, is obviously a threat though as well. Um, Daniel Roberts says, something I really liked is that on the corners, we leave Saliba back to defend rather than getting in the box. I I assume that's because essentially we have four centre-backs who can all head the ball. Yeah, I think, look, normally you'd leave a full-back back. That's what the tradition has often been, isn't it? That's what a lot of people do. Um, but when you're playing essentially with four centre-halves in the defence, which is what we've been doing, of late, because Tommy Asu, of course, let's not forget, prior to his arrival at Arsenal, was a centre-half, probably still is in terms of his profile. Um, and obviously Ben White playing on the right-hand side. So, yeah, um, 
you know, you've got to leave someone back. And I think they're kind of just taking it in turns. Uh, thanks to the Football Pie and Mash podcast. He says the tactics insight was awesome, Harry. Thank you so much. We'll, you know what? We'll try and make it a weekly feature. Let's try and do that. We'll try and pick something out. Maybe it'll be on an individual player. Sometimes it will be uh, on our game model as a team. But we'll try and do that as a, a regular thing. We used to do it a lot and um, and people used to enjoy it. But I guess, you know, when there's not anything really new to discuss, I, I kind of want to do them ad hoc. I don't want to force them, if that makes sense. Uh, Merchant says, getting ready for the Marseille versus Spurs game. Hope our ex-Gooners can show them the flames. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. Really looking forward uh, to watching that one. It's a bit of a shame that part of Marseille's ground is going to be closed, though, isn't it? Because it's an incredibly atmospheric place. I mean, I'm sure it will be anyway. But just to have them surrounded would have been nicer, wouldn't it? Uh, Harry is 35 now, apparently. I'm not 35. Not yet, mate. Um, don't age me before my time. Uh, Afsar says, why is TalkSport so anti-Arsenal apart from Laura? I guess I think that, um, listen, I, I do a lot of work at TalkSport, right? So I'm not going to sit here and and slag them off. I, I think some of the opinions on there are outrageous, but I've got no problem with saying that on the air. Uh, in fact, I do say that on the air when I'm on TalkSport too. But I think what it is, right? Their model is to is to get clicks, is to drive engagement, is to get people involved, is to rile up the fans. Because in their view, I guess, and I'm guessing, you know, all publicity is good publicity. And Arsenal are a huge club with a huge fan base. And they know that if they trigger this fan base, they'll get lots of engagement, lots of interaction. And it's hard as fans, right? We get suckered into it. We fall for it and we bite back. But that's what they want. That's exactly what they want. And um, and yeah. So that's that's kind of how I see that. Uh, Jared says, should we go big in January transfers and sort out the contracts or risk the squad that we have and reinvest in the summer? Look, I think we need to um, we need to add some reinforcements. If we're going to maintain our level, I think it's clear that we've been tired recently. We've been under our level recently and we've managed to ride through that period and, and still pick up the points that we needed for the most part. But I think we do need a little bit more depth. So I want to see Arsenal kind of double down in January. I'm not expecting like five, six players to come in. I'm not expecting any more than two maximum. It'll probably be one. But I do think we need to do something. And I think Mikel Arteta's start to the season gives him ammunition to go to KSC and say, guys, look, this is where we are. Look at where we are. But we just need a little bit more in order to maintain it. And I think he'll have some power and some goodwill off the back of this really positive start. Uh, Temi Ola says, is Martinelli approaching world-class level? I think he is. I think he's been immense this season. I really do. I think he's unplayable at times. I don't think he's unplayable every week, which is why he's probably just a little bit below the very elite level at this stage, but he's still young. He's still developing. He's still moving forward. And I've got no doubt about where he could come. I remember when he burst onto the scene, saying on this very podcast, and this is when the podcast was, was still quite young, I said something along the lines of, I don't think I've been this excited about a young Arsenal player coming through since Cesc Fabregas. And I meant that. And I still mean that. And I still maintain that. He is a fantastic talent. And I cannot wait to see him move forward. OK, going to leave it there. Um, we'll do a bit of Q&A uh, on the next show just because uh, I know a lot of people want to go off and watch the Spurs game, myself included. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, we're back, uh, as I say, uh, tomorrow with the uh, preview of the FC Zurich game. It will be a pre-record uh, because I won't be around, but it will be uh, out at 7pm the same time. We're trying to stick to that routine of 7pm UK time every single day. That means it drops in your inboxes in the evening in some parts of the world and first thing in the morning in others. Uh, but please keep supporting, keep subscribing, keep leaving likes on the videos and I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Until then, take care of yourselves and stay safe. Come on, you Gunners. Come on, Marseille. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.